Okay, we are studying in the book of Acts. We're in the book of Acts. And Paul is giving a defense. Well, not really a defense, because he was just beaten by a crowd, and he's trying to give an explanation. He didn't have to. He offered to give this explanation to the crowd as to why he's there in Jerusalem and what he's been doing for the past many years. And so let's pick it up again in verse 3 of Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22, verse 3. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prison, as also the high priest and all the council of elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up, go to Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, and I came to Damascus, and a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the very moment I looked up at him and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness to him, a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. Okay, so Paul is giving his testimony. Paul did this repeatedly in the book of Acts, using the same account of how he got saved. So this, we're hearing it again, and we're going to hear this same testimony again from Paul on how he got saved. And so Paul is going through this, and we covered a little bit of this last time. So let's pick up specifically in verse 9. It says, And those who were with me saw the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. So not only Paul saw this bright light around noontime on the road to Damascus, so the light, the light had to be exceedingly bright, but everyone who was traveling with him. So remember, he was traveling with authority to go and to bring people into, the, into prison, bring them from Damascus back down into Jerusalem because it was all of the same province and they had authority to do this. He had authority from the chief priests and the council. So even though it was under the Roman government, the Roman government allowed them freedom to protect their religion. And so when he went, this occurred and the people, everyone saw the bright light. So everyone knew something spectacular had happened. And, and uh, uh, in another one of the accounts, Paul speaks uh, more specifically that they heard the sound but they couldn't discern that it was a voice. To Paul it was a very clear voice. And, it said, and, and Paul couldn't see anymore. But the voice said to him when he said, What shall I do, Lord? The, the Lord said to him, Get up, 
Go to Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. So the Lord says, get up and go. Go to Damascus, and it's going to be told you what you should do. This is a tremendous word to take hold of. If you can remember this passage, study this, memorize this, get up and go. Get up and go. Very often we get, we get confused, we get, we get uh, saddened, we get depressed, we have pity parties, and God says, get up and go. You can't just stay there. This is part of Christian life. You get up and you get going. And it will be told you what you should do. If you just sit there and stew and say, I'm not moving till you tell me, you may be there an awfully long time. Very often we hear while we get moving and get into service. And Paul says to him, get going. Get going, get to Damascus, and I'll tell you more about what you have to do. And it is through these acts of obedience that Paul hears more. And he goes there, and it says that he couldn't see. You want to get somebody's attention? God made this man blind. And it really got his attention. The light was so bright, he couldn't see anymore. He had to be led by the hand. Uh, uh, God had done this before. There were Old Testament passages where, where God would strike people with blindness. It happened, happened uh, 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 when Lot, when the men of the city came to attack Lot and his family. God blinded the men at the door. It, it happened with, uh, uh, when the Syrians came to attack and the prophet proclaimed upon them and they went blind and he, he, he led them into the city then and then it, oh, they opened their eyes. So God had done this before in the Old Testament. He's, he does it again here with Paul. But that would certainly get your attention. I mean, you may be feeling like you're really pretty tough and you've got all these, this authority going with you, but you turn blind and guess what? You're not tough anymore. God gets our attention. So, so this man is blind, and he has to now be led by the hand into the city. And it says there was a man, Ananias, and this Ananias was a well-known man. It says that he was a Jew well spoken of. He was a devout uh, follower of the law, and he was spoken highly of by all the Jews in that city, not just the believing Jews, not just the Jews that believe Jesus is the Messiah, but all the Jews in that city. So where was Paul led to? Well, he was probably led to the place that he was intending to stay to begin with. Probably not the house of a, of, of a believer in Jesus. Because remember, from that house he was going to start exercising his power and going out and doing the arrest. But Ananias was so well known, he was able to go into that house. So God, had, we, we know from another passage... When this first happened, how God had spoken to Ananias and said, Go and you will find a man on a street called Straight and inquire. And the man named Paul is staying there. And, and the reason he has access is because he is a Jew going to another Jew to find this man, Paul. And he is devout by the standards of the law. So what Paul is doing, he's saying, Look, the man who came and prayed with me was devout by the standards of the law. You know, he was no fly-by-night guy. He was not some, you know, guy from some weird church background. This is a Jew that you all know. He was the one who first came and prayed with me after the Lord spoke to me on that road in Damascus. So what is he doing? He's going and he's building a case for the authenticity of the experience that happened to him. He says, I wasn't the only one who saw this light. Many of us saw this light. And so when, when Ananias comes, 
Uh, he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know His will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from His mouth, for you will be a witness for Him to all men of what you have seen and heard. So Ananias brings the word of the Lord to Paul. Paul is on the road. He says, Lord, what do you want? Paul says, God says to him, Get up, go to Damascus, and you'll find out. Get up, go to Damascus, and you'll hear more. And how did he hear more? It wasn't a direct voice of God. Maybe he was going to hear the direct voice of God because Ananias says that you're going to hear his voice. You're going to, you're going to hear an utterance from him. However, he's now receiving from another human being. He's receiving from an individual who would come to pray for him. So very often God speaks to us through other individuals. Very often he does. And that is often the way He speaks to us. He speaks to us through the Scriptures. He speaks to us through other individuals. This is not at all uncommon. And we have to be in a position to be able to hear. And so it's not everything we hear is an utterance of God for us. But very often we hear a message and something of God can come forth to us. God speaks through individuals. And He's saying, this is what He said to me. This Ananias, who you know, who you respect, who is a devout follower of the law. So he's a devout follower of the law, but still he's a believer in Jesus. So many Jews in that day, as you will find in Israel today, are followers of the law in that they keep many of these practices. They don't any longer offer up sacrifices for sin, because that's been offered up, but they follow many practices of the law. And he, but he was a believer in Jesus. But this built up the credibility of what Paul is now saying. And so he says, this is what he said was going to happen to me. That you've been appointed to hear the righteous one and you're going to be a witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. And now it, it says, now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. Look what Ananias says to him. Why are you delaying? Be baptized. Ah, well, because I just got saved last night. Because I just arrived here. Uh, because I don't know where the local you know, water pool is, because nobody's you know, offered to baptize me. And Ananias says, what are you delaying for? Oh, okay. And he says, he says get, get up and be baptized. And he says, uh, uh, have your sins washed away, calling on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. Wash away your sins by calling on the name of the Lord. Be baptized. And... So you see, very rapidly in the book of Acts, people were baptized very rapidly after their being saved. They were baptized. If you have not been baptized, you really ought to be. Very rapidly they were baptized. And so if you've not been baptized, you really ought to be. Personally, personally, I don't know of people who have not been baptized who go very far on with the Lord. Because there's this, this major act of obedience that has yet to be followed. Following the, Lord's, the Lord in the, water of, in the waters of baptism. Jesus himself was baptized. His disciples were baptizing people all the time in the book of Acts. Paul was baptized. If you've not been baptized, consider being baptized. This, it is so easy in this church. All you do is you fill out a card and, and in next week you can be baptized. And you say, well, I'm a little embarrassed. Fine, be embarrassed, get baptized. Get baptized. It is an act of obedience. 
And if you've not been baptized since believing on the Lord Jesus, you really ought to be. It is an act of obedience. It's not something that, that we do because some, someone did it to us because we were two months old or something. It is an act of obedience. I take a step. That's like saying, well, you know, no use for me to be saved. My parents got saved for me. Well, you, you know, that really doesn't work. That really doesn't work. Each of us has to make a cry out to the Lord. And so if you've not been baptized, now in some churches, you know, you go through a six-month course on baptism before you get baptized. That's fine. Whatever your church says to do, do it in that way. But be baptized. So much so that Ananias says to Paul the very next day, what are you waiting for? He says, you better get baptized. He knew that this was an essential step in going on with the Lord. And so Paul goes ahead and gets baptized. Now, let's look in verse 17 of Acts 22. Verse 17. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They, listening up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were crying out and throwing off their coats and tossing dust in the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging so that he might find out the reason why they were shouting against him in that way. Okay, so Paul continues on with his testimony, and he says that that he left Damascus, he came back into Jerusalem. So what was he doing in Jerusalem? He was praying. Where was he praying? He was praying in the temple. Paul maintained the practice of prayer, and he maintained the practice of prayer in the temple. Again, if that bothers you as a Christian, let it bother you. That's where Paul was. And the believers in that day continued their practice of praying in the temple. And that's why Paul, just before this, was, off, was going through the Nazarite vow in the temple, as the Apostle Paul, in, in Acts chapter 21 when all of this ruckus began to occur. So Paul continued in the same practices. And, and, and he was in the temple praying. And then God said to him, you better get out of Jerusalem because they're not going to accept the testimony. And Paul begins to argue with the Lord. Paul says, Lord, they themselves understand that in synagogue after synagogue, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And then he says, I was there and I cast my lot against Stephen. When the blood of your servant Stephen was being shed, I was standing by approving. That means he cast his lot. Actually, what they would do is they would drop a black stone if they were in favor of, of the execution. So Paul cast his lot. And remember, back in, in, in uh, Acts 22, verse 4, it says, I persecuted this way to the death. Paul was a persecutor of others to the death. He had seen people to the death for this. He had imprisoned. And he says, they'll believe me. They're, they'll believe me. And, and, uh, because I, I, I'm one of them. And God says, they won't believe you. Get moving. Twenty-five years later, 
is where we are now, and Paul has come back to Jerusalem, and he's witnessing. So Paul had wanted to do it 25 years earlier, but God spoke to him, not the right time now. Isn't that interesting? That sometimes you have in your heart to do something, but God, through many ways of speaking, through counsel, through reading, may speak, this is not the right time. And you'd be like, Lord, this is what I want to do. I really want to do this for you. This is the service I want to do. So why aren't you letting me do it? And God said, go. You better get out of here now. This is not the timing. Twenty-five years before Paul is able to go back to Jerusalem and be a witness. And we're like, all right, if not today, Lord, then next week? Paul's 25 years later, he's coming back to Jerusalem. Now he's able to witness in Jerusalem, and it's not going terribly well. But just because you have something in your heart that you want to do doesn't mean it's God's will for you. It may be. I don't know. It may be. But you have to search this thing out. A lot of times God says, wait, and it's, it, it, He does it with many things. Often He does it with marriage. You know, two young people find each other and they're like, oh, it would be wonderful spending the rest of my life with you. And I've known you for two weeks and I'm just sure of it. And your parents, who probably know you better than you think, are like saying, um, I really think you ought to wait. I think you really ought to graduate from high school. <laughs> I think you ought to even consider getting your, 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 your undergraduate college degree before you start thinking like this. And a lot of times people want to rush into this and think they've heard it. I would never counsel against what parents advise for their children regarding marriage. God has given parents this amazing ability to see where nobody else can see concerning the marriage of their children. So you really want to get the counsel of your parents in this. And if you feel that God is speaking something and your parents are just missing it, pray that God changes your parents' heart. And He will if it's His will. He can do it. The Bible even says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and He directs it wherever He wishes. Well, if God can take a king and do this, can He not take your father, who's just king of just that little house, and do it? Can't he do that? God can do that. But very often the word is, not now. (laughs) Just wait. Not now. And not next week. Just wait a while. But God speaks, and sometimes it takes a while for things to get fulfilled. So here he is 25 years later. And then God says in verse 21, God doesn't deal with every one of the issues See, so Paul is going through this very rationally. He says, uh, uh, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another I used to imprison. So, they know. So, if I've accepted it, of course they're going to accept it. God never addresses that issue. Then he says, they know. I was there and I cast my lot against Stephen. And I was part of the the killing of Stephen by holding the coats of of the people who could throw better than I could. You know, Paul was a... Paul was a scholar, you know, he was, he was a nerd, and he, he probably, you know, would throw like this or something. <laughs> you know, he probably wasn't good at throwing stones. That was my left hand, so I knew I could do like that with my left hand. So, <laughs> so he let other people throw stones, but he held the coats, the cloaks of those who could throw better. 
the stones at Stephen. But he says, I was there. And they know it. And, and, and uh, uh, look how God answers him in verse 21. And God said to him, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. He didn't deal with all the specific issues. And you can write a list and say, God, I want an answer to all of these things. And I'm not going to move till you give it to me. You might be there a long time. God said to him, go. This is not the time to witness to these people. I'll bring you back. But this is not the time. And in fact, the time when he came back is the time that he's living in at this moment as he's telling this story. And again, it's not going very well for him. And they don't receive him at this time either. Because now, he's, as soon as he says... God said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. It got the crowd, the Jewish crowd, really upset. The thought that God would take some Jew and give him a revelation and then send him to the Gentiles was just too much for this crowd. And it says they listened to him up to this statement. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. You know, I've heard a lot of things in my life. I've heard people say a lot of things. But never have I reacted, that man deserves to die for what he just said. I've never reacted like that. I mean, this, you have to agree, is a very strong reaction to a statement. That they should now say, you do not deserve to live. And they're enraged. It says they were crying out, they were throwing off their cloaks. I mean, you know, what, what, do you, what does that mean? It's, it's like, you know, they're ready to fight. Coat behind them and they're ready to go at it. And, and, and they're throwing dust in the air. I mean, that's because there's this crowd of soldiers around them and they just want to get their hands on this guy. They're just absolutely enraged. And Paul is like, you know, 25 years I've waited for this. I've wanted to share with you guys for 25 years. And what's the outcome? He gets to Jerusalem. He's there for a few days offering up a vow to calm the believing Jews that he was not teaching against the law. So he's just about to get that crowd calmed. And the unbelieving Jews come and grab him in the temple, pull him out of the inner court into the outer court and start beating him. He's within seconds of dying, because remember, you don't live in a crowd beating you very long. When the soldiers come down and snatch him from this crowd, they take him up the steps a little bit, and he says, hey, can I speak to them? You know, I've wanted to do this for 25 years, and I couldn't get, you know, word out. And the commander says, okay, you want to speak? Go ahead. He starts speaking to them in the Hebrew dialect, and then they get enraged. All he did was tell them his testimony. You know, he didn't say, you know, you people, you're going to go to hell. You're going to, you know, he didn't say anything to them. He was just recounting his testimony. Do you see what's happening to the poor guy? Did you ever tell, try to tell somebody about, you know, something exciting in your life about the Lord and they didn't receive it? And you're like, you know, you want to have this this pity party. Oh, they didn't receive it. I feel so terrible. Well, imagine this. Imagine if that person had thrown you on the ground and tried to kill you. I mean, this is what the man went through. 
So the man is here and, and nobody receives him. He tries to speak to them. Nobody receives him. And then it says that the commander, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging. I mean, this is a Roman scourge. So they're going to put him on a table and crank it up and stretch him out and then beat him just to find out what's going on. You know, that's, that's just the way they did it back then. I mean, that's pretty rough. All the guy wanted to do was to share. And I waited 25 years for this. You know how you could get really upset with God about this? But this is typical Christian life for these apostles. Not everything is readily received. Life isn't always easy. All sorts of things come at us in life that we don't expect. And if you think that life owes you something, that God owes you You know, that everybody should be nice to you in life and receive your message and receive your testimony and everything should go well. I don't know what book you're reading, but it's not the Bible. None of the believers in the Bible had everything go well for them all the time. Life has things that happen. I had one young lady come come and speak to me last week and she was like, um, she said, uh, uh, she, she was all distraught about things that were going on. And she says, how do you see this in relation to the end times, what we're going through? I said, what are you talking about? What are we going through? She says, well, the, the meltdown with, the, with, with, with the, the home mortgage crisis and the $700, the $700 billion bailout. And, and uh, um, uh, what, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah, and the terrorism and everything. And she was just... Oh, I mean, it's just such a mess. And I thought, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. She said, how could you have not thought of that? And I said, well, it seemed like things were going pretty well. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, I remember the savings and loan debacle. Everybody thought that would break us, and it didn't. And when I was growing up, I mean, we had, we had a war going on just like we have now, but it went on for like 12 years. We've been in, in Iraq five, and we've lost in Iraq 4,500 men. We lost... We lost uh, 4,500 people. We lost in Vietnam 55,000 through my whole childhood. And it was a draft going on. And I remember my friend's father's going. And then I remember my, my older friend's going. And then I remember <laughs> the time as I'm going. I mean, th- this war went on for like 12 years. And they were drafting everybody. And I remember the, the race riots in New York City where it looked like the, the country was just going to split absolutely in half. From within, and uh, then I remember the Lovin' Movement in the 70s where everybody was sleeping around and, and even couples were sleeping around with other couples and it looked like, 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 like the entire family was going to be torn asunder. And she says, it was really like that? I said, yeah, we went through lots of stuff like that. And I'm sure Mrs. Harrison has seen much more than that. But this is normal life. This is normal life. Life has a way of dealing things like this. And if you fret about this, Jesus said, look, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow has enough, to, because today has enough trouble of its own. He said, I'm just worried about getting through today. I've got to get this paper written and get it sent out. You know, this is the problem facing me today. This is just what Jesus told me to do. He said, just worry about the paper you've got to get done today. That's what he told me to do. And I'm very much at peace with that. 
Look in, in, in John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, Jesus is talking about the fact that He's going to be killed. And He says, you know, you're going to weep, but your weeping, your grief is going to be turned into rejoicing. Then he finishes with this absolutely profound statement in in, in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Remember, not everything is going to go well for you in life. There is going to be times when, you know, loved ones die. You say, God, how can you let that happen? I mean, people die. You know, every person that's ever lived has died, as far as I know. Except maybe Elijah. Right? Elijah was taken up. And and, uh, anybody else? Enoch. Yeah. So, many people think those are the two that are going to return in Revelation and die and then be raised up again, because it's been given for all men to be born once and then to die. But... But anyway, most data points show that everyone's going to die. But the beautiful thing is that we have the hope of the resurrection. When we are in Christ, we have the hope of the resurrection. You know, here I was, I'm reading, you know, the books of Moses. And, and, and so the first five books of the Bible. And, and God doesn't allow His faithful servant Moses to come into the promised land. And as I'm reading this, then I remembered, Moses did go into the promised land at the time of, of uh, the transfiguration. Moses was up there on the mountain with Elijah and Jesus. 2,800 years or so later, Moses is up on that mountain. You talk about the faithfulness of the resurrection. Moses isn't sitting in the ground 2,800 years. He's actively serving God. Jesus said, He who lives and believes in me shall live even if he dies. And he who believes in me shall, shall live even if he dies. Do you believe this? Jesus said, do you believe this? He who lives and believes in me shall live even if he dies. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said. How much more explicit would you like him to be? That there is eternal life in Christ. That when you bury a believer in the ground, that's not the end. They are immediately with God. And one day God will raise up their bodies as well. In this world, Jesus said, you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. He said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. I just, I just gave away four tickets to the Astros game this afternoon. You had to receive them. I mean, one guy raised his hand. I offered them to everybody. One person raised their hand. You may have gone, but only one person took hold of it. Jesus offers it to us, but we can well live our lives without any peace. He says, in me you may have it. Well, if you're offering it to me, I can accept or not accept. And I can't understand why believers want to walk around all beat up all the time. I receive that peace. I want that peace, Lord. I will receive it from you. I want that peace. You got my hand up. You got peace, I'll take it. And Lord, whatever peace anyone in here could have had and didn't want, I'll take. 
I'll take that peace. In me, you may have peace. In Him, you may have peace. And I told this young lady who had come to talk with me, and I said, look, you know, life's like this all the time. What, what time period would you like better? Would you like better to live during World War II, where we were attacked on one coast by the Japanese and the other side, the Germans were coming? And the whole machinery of the country had to stop and change to make stuff for the war? Would that be a better time? Were those the days you wanted to live in? You know, there's never any serene time. He says, but in me, you may have peace. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just get through this day. It has enough trouble. This day has enough trouble for you. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's not a matter of you may have it, I can receive tribulation or not. In this world, you will have tribulation. This world has tribulation. But fear not, I have overcome the world. And this is what you see in this man, Paul. Anybody else, I'm telling you, would have said to these people, look, I came here after 25 years and I wanted to share with you and you threw me on the ground and beat me up and tried to kill me. The Romans delivered me. Here I try to then, you know, I just say, okay, all's forgiven. Wet myself off and I start telling you my testimony. And then you start getting enraged and throwing dirt at me and saying I ought to die. I mean, anyone else would have said, forget you. You can all go to hell for all I'm concerned. I did my part. I'm done with you and walk away. Go get scorched. But, but he didn't do that. He didn't do that. How could he not have done that? It is only because of the peace of Jesus. It is only because of serving the Lord who gave himself for Paul. That is what God brings us back to. There is an amazing peace we can have in Christ that changes the attitudes of human beings if we will receive it. Because remember, we may have peace, but the hand's got to be up Say, I'll take the peace, Lord. I'll take the peace. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. And I pray for these young people that they would receive your peace. That they would receive from you your peace. Father, I pray the blessings of God on these young people. That they would take hold of the truth of your word and not forget it. That in this world they'll have tribulations. And when the tribulations come, not to think it's anything unusual or it's any particular personal attack on them only. But, Father, in the midst of that, they'd learn to have your peace. Father, grant them your peace. And, Father, I pray that you'd be speaking to them through your word, through others. Lord, that they'd learn to wait on you, that they'd learn to wait. Father, I pray even learn to particularly wait when it comes to things concerning marriage and relationships. And Father, I pray Your grace to be upon them, that they would walk in counsel and understanding. And I commit them to You in the name of Jesus. Amen.